You're listening to a 3CR podcast created in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au. Dirt Radio, Organic, Friends of the Earth, Activism, Underground, Political Action, Necessary, Wind Farms, Indigenous Struggles, Land Rights, Anti-Nuclear, Nanotechnology, Climate Change, Coal Barons, Mining Magnates, Activists, Educating, Communities, Transforming, Communities, Mobilising a Sustainable Planet. Get involved now. Friends of the Earth, Friends of the Earth, Friends of the Earth, Dirt Radio. Good morning and welcome to another episode of Dirt Radio on 3CR. My name is Megan Williams and I would like to start by acknowledging the traditional owners of the land. 3CR is broadcasting from Wurundjeri country in the Kulin Nations and I would like to pay respects to elders past, present and emerging from across these great lands and acknowledge that the continuing struggle for sovereignty and self-determination continues to this very day. Also on Solidarity, I would like to put a little call out to anyone listening from rural or regional Victoria. The Japarong Embassy is in need of supporters on the ground Uh, They have put the call out for anyone who can come to camp and can do so safely to make your way there and support that long-running campaign. Today on the show, I am catching up with our campaign's coordinator, Cam Walker, to talk about some work that he's been doing around living in the piracine. So we'll be talking about how the world is changing, how the role of fire in ecosystems is changing and frankly becoming a little bit more terrifying and um, what we can do to take action. So that's coming up after this community service announcement. Friends of the Earth Food Co-op is open. Get fresh produce and support local farmers and keep our grassroots community thriving through these unusual times. Organic veggie boxes and click and collect now available. Visit www.foefood.org slash click collect to place your orders. Or pop in store at 312 Smith Street and see how we're adapting with our new physical distancing layout. Shop organic and buy local. Made easy at Friends of the Earth. A proud 3CR supporter. You're listening to Dirt Radio on 3CR and joining me today is campaign coordinator of Friends of the Earth and CFA volunteer Cam Walker. How are you going today, Cam? Yeah, good. Thanks, Megan. Now, you've been doing work around uh, living with fire in the piracine. Um, Can we start off by just talking about what the piracine is? What does it mean to be living in a piracine? 
Yeah, so it's it's an interesting turn that was put together by a fire ecologist called Stephen Pine, who's been writing about fire for decades now. And he's just noted that, you know, previously we came out of the Ice Age and the Ice Age influenced so much of what we did as, as a species, partly because the Ice Age was responsible for the the glacial action that then helped create a whole bunch of soil, uh, particularly in the Northern Hemisphere, and that kind of influenced us in our development and our agriculture. Whereas now the dominant force on the planet is actually fire. And if you think, you know, at present there are fires right across the Northern Hemisphere, you know, there's been fires this Northern summer in Greenland, in Russia, in Siberia, in California, in Oregon, you know, just right across the board. And then think about our, you know, last summer and what that was like. We really are in the era of the fire, so hence the era of the pyrocene. And, I mean, we were all very aware of um, the fires over the last summer in Australia. And actually now that you mention it, there were those fires in the Amazon and there is massive fires in the U.S., but I, I hadn't realised it was a global phenomenon. I thought it was just in kind of... You know, Australia's always been prone to fire, but this is actually increasing worldwide. Oh, absolutely. And this northern summer, there are sections uh, in, for instance, Alaska that normally don't burn, that are burning. There have been fires, uh, you know, in, in the far northern latitudes, places that traditionally they're just not fire adapted. Australia is fire, both fire prone and fire adapted. And fire adapted means that a fire is normally a good thing for vegetation. The thing is you want a fire in a natural cycle. You don't want to have fire too frequently. So um, there is this concept that we've kind of entered a period of step change where you have one reality, one physical reality, and then suddenly you change and you're in another reality. So, you know, the, 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 the ancient history analogy we could use is, you know, we had dinosaurs on the earth until there was the meteor strike that changed everything and then it was the era of the mammals. So there's a growing sense of consensus amongst a lot of fire ecologists that we've had this step change and we're now into um, a point in the earth's history where fire is much more prevalent in ecosystems that traditionally haven't burnt and in systems where... Um, fire has been an irregular visitor. So to give you another example, there's been a lot of fires in the northeast of the United States, which is that broad kind of mixed deciduous and hardwood forests. They're beautiful in the autumn. They have those leaves. They normally don't burn, you know, and there've been fires up in there uh, this summer. So what's happening is we're getting fires because of climate change and this concept of the step change that we're now in a situation where the background warming, which is creating background drought is in meaning that every time we have a fire even though an individual fire isn't caused by climate change the background of that fire is that we are a little bit warmer and hence a little bit drier and therefore we are in a you know a reality where lots of places that traditionally have not burnt are now burning and that's a global phenomenon and if you think about it here in Australia last summer Places that burnt normally you don't hear about, so the Lamington Rainforest on the Queensland-New South Wales border and rainforest in northern New South Wales. We had cool, temperate rainforest, you know, amazing places like the Erinundra Plateau in East Gippsland, which is an absolute heartland of ancient, cool, temperate rainforest. It started to burn 
just near there, we had the Martins Creek um, catchment, which was just devastated by fire. And it's a warm, temperate rainforest. But again, you know, it was absolutely devastated. And then in mountain environments, we have three key kind of vegetation communities in, in the forest in, forested mountain environments in the southeast of the continent, the mountain ash forests, the alpine ash forests and the snow gum woodlands, they've traditionally burnt, but they're burning more frequently. So this is this idea of step change. We used to get fire on a particular rhythm. It might have been every 10 years or every 50 years or every 100 years, depending on the vegetation type. Now with this background pulse of climate change, of heat and drought, we're getting fires more frequently. And they're moving into places where traditionally those forest communities simply haven't burnt. Mm. And you do really think of Australia as a country that does burn. Like, as you say, fires have always been a part of the environment here. But there, there are these places that that didn't burn in Australia. So it, it's, you know, from... You know, there's multiple environments. The environments change across the country and, and we're seeing these fires in all of those places, not just in the places where where fire is is more common. Is that is that kind of what's happening? Yes, that's absolutely correct. So if you look at Tasmania, which as we know is, you know, cooler and wetter than most of the rest of, you know, the mainland, um, they're getting fire in the subalpine zones, which really is is not at all prepared to deal with fire. It's it vegetation forms that evolved back in the Gondwanic supercontinent days more than 100 million years ago. They're not used to fire and they're destroyed by fire and they often don't recover um, from fire. So we're getting fire up in those systems and we're certainly getting more fire in the cool temperate rainforests and the warm temperate rainforests. And traditionally what would have happened, for instance, um, if you've been to Wollongong and, and as you go inland from Wollongong, uh, you go up through an escarpment where there's rainfall forest that kind of acted as a barrier to fire in olden times you know in, in kind of pre-invasion times and now what's happening is they're drying out and fire is increasingly able to move through these traditional buffers that existed in the landscape um that was also true uh, of old growth forests here in Victoria, where I am. Um, older forests uh, generate their own microclimate. They're cooler, they're moister, they tend not to burn. So those really old mountain ash forests. And what we're finding is that more and more this drying aridity means that fire can get a better, a better kind of toehold and pass through those forests. So they don't have their quite this same ability to slow down fire that they used to have. They still have a, a role in doing that, and that's a really important role, and that's yet another reason why we should be looking after the old growth that does remain. But, yeah, there's no doubt that ecosystems in general are becoming more arid, and these areas that generally didn't burn are now more likely to burn, and they're more likely to burn more frequently. Mm. And what does that mean for our endangered creatures, you know? Like we all heard about the billion animals that died during last summer and how koalas were really affected. Um, but what about the changing, like if ecosystems are changing, does is that another, uh, I guess, another driver or another pressure point on on species that that live in these um, microclimates that aren't used to burning. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, a key but really important bit of detail here is that we're facing more and more what you call mega fires. So in Victoria, 
a fire season of greater than 100,000 hectares. Last summer, we had 1.5 million hectares burn uh, in Victoria. So, you know, we, we were well beyond this threshold of what's called a mega fire. But what happens is when you have um, a natural fire in a system, and it might have been a fire, you know, that traditionally would have been put in there by traditional owners, by First Nation people, or, or it was a fire that was created by lightning strike, they will generally burn as a bit of a mosaic. They'll burn and then they'll they'll hit maybe a rainforest or they'll hit a river and they'll slow down and they die out. So what you get is this mosaic of recently burnt and, and long unburnt forests or woodlands or ecosystems. But with climate change, what you're finding now is that the intensity of the fire is much more, much stronger, which means you get, a, a, in effect, an inferno and there are no features in the landscape that can slow it down. The rainforests don't slow it down. The rivers don't slow it down. And so what that means for the species is, you know, if you've got a small fire operating as a result of a, a lightning strike in a mild summer, you know, that will move slowly and animals can generally get out of the way. When you have a climate change-induced mega fire and it's running at, you know, a speed of kilometres per hour, you know, on a really, really really broad front, then simply animals can't get out of the way in the same way. And so the death toll will be so much greater. And because it becomes a firestorm that then in turn generates its own weather and burns forests so completely when the fire front is passed, there's so little unburnt terrain. And so the remaining animals, where do they go? You know, traditionally what would happen is a fire would go through an area, the animals would move into the surrounding area that doesn't burn and that's where they'd continue to feed and live, you know, until the burnt area starts to come back. So not only is the direct impact on animals greater, but also, you know, the, the aftermath of fires is more intense and more spread so completely through ecosystems rather than just smaller sections of ecosystems. It's really terrifying stuff. Um, and the emergency leaders for climate action noted after the Black Summer fires this year that while these fires were unprecedented, the tragedy was not unforeseen or unexpected. Can you talk to me about about the history of um, of you know talking about fire in a changing climate and you know what what kind of efforts have been made over the years to raise the alarm about all of this? Yeah, sure. So I I think we have known for a long while that well we've known for decades, of course, that climate change was coming and our political leaders have decided to ignore that and, you know, not act on the evidence and, and you know, not act to reduce our emissions. But the, the people involved in firefighting generally have been able to see, and there's a really interesting report that was done, I think back, I guess it was when Kevin Rudd was the Prime Minister. Um, it was in 2008, there was Ross Garno, that famous economist who did a review for the Australian government. And I remember back then, so, you know, what's that, 12 years ago, he was saying that it's clear that fire seasons are getting longer, um, that they're starting earlier, that they last later and that they're more intense. And this is becoming obvious now, but I feel that it will become manifestly, that is directly observable by about 2020. So he was absolutely spot on the money. People have seen that this is coming. And firefighters, um, I think the fact there's there's that really interesting group, the Emergency Leaders for Climate Action, uh, you know, has been formed in recent years. There's the Grassroots Alliance of Firefighters as well, which is working more from a 
rank and file level, but you've certainly got the emergency leaders group, the ELCA. I think many people who work in firefighting have seen what's coming, you know, and I know my experience as a volunteer firefighter, um, you know, older members in brigades saying, look, there's just not as much water in the landscape now. So it's actually harder to get the water to then go and fight the fires. You know, people that are, you know, on the front end of things who are those first responders unnoticing the changes that are there. Um, and I think it was pretty apparent last year, and the emergency leaders said this very clearly, that they had gone to the Prime Minister and said there's a terrible summer coming and we need a lot more resources to fight fires. And that at that point fell on deaf ears. So I think... Firefighters have got it. Uh, you know, people living on the land generally have got it if you're paying attention. Um, and, uh, you know, unfortunately, our political leaders haven't got it. And so last summer's fires was a bit of a shocking wake-up call, I think, more broadly for the community. The only people refusing to see this are the people who have ideological blinders on them that they are convinced that, you know, climate change isn't real and they're climate sceptics or climate deniers. But I think if you don't have that filter in your view of the world, you can clearly see what's going on, and that is that fire seasons are starting earlier and they are lasting longer and they're often more intense and the really important thing to remember here is and as we can see as California and Arizona is burning at present and that is that to fight fires here in Australia and around the world we share resources and people in Victoria or in Australia in general we hire in planes to fight our, our fires in summer um, and we share resources so as a volunteer in Victoria you might be sent to Queensland or New South Wales so as everyone's fire seasons get longer, it actually means you can't share the resources as easily. You know, if you've got six month long fire seasons with, you know, fires starting in August in Queensland and then, you know, September, October in New South Wales and then November, December in Victoria, how do you sustain firefighting efforts for six months? So as people became aware of what's going on, the obvious thing we needed to do, apart from acting seriously on to reduce our emissions and act on climate change, was to increase our capacity. And that means more planes and more helicopters, more career firefighters, and also um, more volunteer firefighters. And they're the things that clearly we need to do to grapple with these fires that really are the present future. You know, it's the future we've been expecting, but unfortunately it's here already. Mm. Yeah, and I mean, you talk about how the warnings fell on deaf ears for, for many years and perhaps continue to, um, and there was a Royal Commission come out of this catastrophic fire season last year. Can you talk to me a bit about what the Royal Commission has been finding? Yeah, so the uh, Royal Commission at the end of this month will release its um its final report. But it was interesting that because it was set up by the federal government and the federal government are basically run by climate change deniers, its brief was explicitly not to look at mitigation, so not to look at climate action, simply to look um, at, you know, how do we deal with climate uh, and, oh, no, sorry, how do we deal with fighting fires? And it was interesting that in spite of that explicit directive, the commission has made it very clear that it, has found that, you know, the climate is warming and that we uh, expect that at least over the next 20 years it, it appears to be inevitable that fire seasons will get wor worse as warming gets worse and therefore that catastrophic bushfire conditions will become more common and that traditional bushfire protection models and firefighting techniques will be less effective. Um, so they've made a whole series of recommendations. We don't know, uh, you know, what will be in the final report, but the initial report 
was really interesting. It had a lot of just practical stuff about how do you improve communication between firefighters, how do you, you know, what resourcing do you need, what planes do you need, you know, how do you make sure training is uniform across all the various systems we have because, of course, we have state-based systems where in Victoria you have the CFA in New South Wales, you have the RFS and so on. How do you make sure everyone can work together effectively? Uh, But it will be really interesting to see whether they actually, you know, accept the reality of looking at the elephant that is in the room, which is climate change, and also make recommendations around that. And I noticed just last week, um, Greg Mullins, who's one of the leaders in the Emergency Leaders for Climate Action Group, said, well, basically, if they don't acknowledge the need to mitigate to reduce climate emissions, then they will have really failed in their job. So it will be very interesting to see the final recommendations in the report when it's released uh, in the next week or so. Mm. Yeah, that will be great to see. And, you know, if, if they do put some put in some recommendations around taking climate action, like do you think, how open do you think the federal government is going to be to hearing that sort of advice? They won't be at all happy. Uh, you know, we have a government that is run by diehard climate deniers who have decided to align themselves with the fossil fuel industry and you know the proof in that would be looking at the covid recovery plans that are being announced it's it's very geared towards fossil fuels it's very geared towards putting money into new gas developments we have a government that's obstinate and willful in its rejection of mainstream science so they won't want to hear it but that doesn't mean we don't tell them Uh, It's interesting that the New South Wales Bushfire Inquiry and the Inspector General for Emergency Management Inquiry, which was the one that was done in Victoria. So we've had two state-based inquiries that have happened since the fires, in addition to the Bushfire Royal Commission. And they were very clear that, you know, these fire seasons are getting worse as a result of climate change and we need to do something about climate change. It's there for everyone to see. Um, I think business is getting it. I think state and territory governments are getting it. I think definitely the community is getting it. And it's it's only a matter of time until the federal coalition is actually forced to act on climate change. Uh, and it will be really interesting, I think, to see uh, it's been easy for Australia with the USA being run by Donald Trump, who's a climate denier and who's pulled the US out of the, the international agreements and co- cooperation on climate change the Paris Agreement, and that's kind of provided cover for our government because we're no longer the villains. It'll be interesting to see if there is a change of government in the United States and the Democrats bring the USA back into the mainstream of climate action globally. I think Australia will will really look quite isolated um, as, you know, one of the few remaining countries that is run by a very fiercely, you know, climate denier-style government, and it'll be interesting to see the pressure that's brought on us as a result of that shift in the global politics. Yes, but let's not hold our breath on that. You never know. Indeed. <laughs> you never know what tomorrow brings. Oh, indeed. And, and so what's Friends of the Earth, sorry, what's Friends of the Earth got in store for um, continuing this work and, um, you know, getting this word out and, and should the Bushfire Royal Commission come out with findings that, that we're in support of? 
Yeah, so we're kind of quite active in this space and we have uh, an organisation we work with very closely which is called Bushfire Survivors for Climate Action and we think they're a really great grassroots kind of frontline group of people that have been impacted by bushfires. So we, you know, lobby, we put up policy. Uh, If people want to have a look on the Friends of the Earth Melbourne website, you'll see uh, a piece there which links to all our articles. We're putting out news items each week and blog posts and stories. We're engaging in the media around the need to obviously act on climate change but also increase our ability to fight fires effectively. So we put in those ideas out there and then we're also, uh, I guess, helping people to join the dots between climate change and fire seasons because that's a really important part of it. If we were to act today on climate change, that doesn't change what happens this summer, but it's about heading off ever worse fire seasons by taking you know, meaningful action now which will reduce the impact of climate change down the track and in coming decades. Mm. And for people that want to get involved or support this work, what can they do? Uh, Have a look at the website. Have a look at, um, you know, the things that are going on. We can see a lot of things that need to be done. We can see that the federal government in particular really needs to commit to buying an Australian-owned fleet of aircraft to fight fires. At this point, we hire in a lot of our planes and helitax, and these are on a, you know, a global market where, you know, the price goes up as demand goes up and as fire seasons get worse in the Northern Hemisphere, prices are going to go up. So we think that's a really logical thing we need to do. Um, We're really interested in uh, cultural fire and how do you actually work with First Nations people to bring knowledge back where it hasn't been enacted in landscapes for a long time because of colonisation and dispossession. We're really interested in seeing better resourcing for firefighting in remote areas because what happens obviously is if you don't have enough firefighting resources in bad seasons, what the decisions that will be taken are to protect human assets. And that means as fire seasons get worse, natural environments will get burnt more. So we're very clear that we need additional firefighting capacity for national parks, for state forests, for for wild environments. And that means we need remote area firefighting teams. Uh, We need a national remote area team that was suggested back in 2016 uh, after the big fires down in Tasmania to protect world heritage areas. That still hasn't been enacted. Victoria, for instance, doesn't have a a volunteer remote area firefighting team, uh, whereas New South Wales does, and that's very effective at stopping lightning strike uh, created fires. So there's lots of particular things we need to do. We need a really nuanced uh, think around fuel reduction burning because that's often you know waved around as the panacea to the problem of of worse fire seasons and then it it is a very blunt instrument we need to be very nuanced on how we use that so yeah there's lots there's lots of things to be involved in uh and people can check the website read read the stories and then feel free to get in touch if they're interested in being involved great well cam walker thank you very much for joining us on dirt radio thanks good to have a chat Alrighty, we'll be back right after this. Hey, all you mob, it's Dr. Mark Winnetong here. Coronavirus has certainly changed the way we live, work and connect. These changes can be hard for some of us and can make us feel no good in our head or spirit, like sad or worried all the time. Some of us might already be dealing with other things like sickness, trauma, and this can make it really hard for us to feel good about anything at the moment. If you're feeling like this, remember, it's okay to ask for help. Have a yarn to someone you trust, like your family or an Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander health worker. 
You can also call Beyond Blue, Lifeline or the Kids Helpline to talk to someone or look at some helpful information at headtohealth.gov.au on the internet. A 3CR supporter. And you're back on Dirt Radio on 3CR. That was an interview I conducted with the campaign coordinator of Friends of the Earth, Cam Walker. Uh, talking all about living in the Pyrocene and how the Age of Fire is upon us. Um, If you'd like to catch up on that interview or any of our podcasts, you can go to 3cr.org.au slash dirtradio and listen back on any of our shows. And a little reminder that Friends of the Earth Food Co-op is open for business. We have our COVID safe plan in action. And if you'd like to get your bulk organic vegetables by click and collect or online order, you can go to fofood.org.au to see what's available. And coming up at Friends of the Earth, last week we've had the Walk to Build MM2, a fundraiser for the Sustainable Cities campaign, one that's gone very well, I suspect. Um, You can check details about that on the Friends of the Earth Melbourne events page, melbournefo.org.au. We've also got new volunteer sessions happening regularly, so if you are dreaming of a life outside lockdown and you'd like to connect with new people, get involved in really important causes um, and learn new skills, then a new volunteer session might be for you. We've also got our Friends of the Earth Melbourne annual general meeting coming up very soon, actually. It's on November 12 at 6.30pm. It is an online event. And we've got a special guest from the Bushfire Survivors for Climate Action, so very topical today. Um, It's uh, Joe Dodds. And it's a members-only event, so everyone who is a member at Friends of the Earth is welcomed and encouraged to come to our AGM and uh, be involved in the very important decision-making that keeps our organisation going. So check that out. It's also on the Friends of the Earth Melbourne event page, melbournefo.org.au slash events. That's coming up on November 12 at 6.30. And that's just about all we have time for today. We'll see you next time. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.